Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by lead pastor Dave Ferguson as we continue the series, The Jesus I Never Knew. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Happy Easter, community. To get us started, I need you to help me with something this Easter morning. We don't have a lot of traditions around here, but one that we do have, whether we gather in person or online like we are, is taken from the Orthodox tradition. And it's where I will say, Christ is risen, and then you respond with Easter enthusiasm, he is risen indeed. Are you ready? Now, I've asked the tech team here, the creative team, to kind of chime in, so you're going to hear them. And you can respond either in the chat or, you know what, just say it out loud, wherever you are. Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. (laughs) I love it. All right, now one more time. This time, either louder or just add exclamation points. Want to make sure the neighbors know that it's Easter. Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And yes, it is that incredible truth that Jesus is alive, that death could not hold him down. And that's what gives you and gives me, gives us hope in any and every situation. I want to begin this Easter message. First of all, just kind of keeping it as real as possible. Now, while I totally believe in my head, Christ is risen, and I do, this year, it's harder for me to feel it in my heart. And while Christ is risen is what I absolutely know, there have been too many times over the last year where it doesn't match my emotions inside. And while we might be proclaiming Easter with our voices, if we're honest, there's times we just don't feel it in our gut. And maybe you know what I mean. And I want to be, I want to be with Mary proclaiming in the garden, Christ is risen. But here's my question for you. What do we do? What do you do when life feels like you're still in the grave? See, a part of my morning routine is um, I will catch up on current events by scanning through several different newspapers online that I subscribe to. And I do this almost every day. And I found several times this past year, I would just kind of pause and reflect and think to myself after looking at the news, this cannot be the way it's supposed to be. This is not at all how God meant for us to live. You ever have that feeling? And I I know a big part of what I'm feeling has to do with the global pandemic that took the lives of more than two and a half million people around the world. And it's almost like it casts kind of this giant shadow over the empty grave of Easter. But for me, it's even more than that once in every hundred year disease. There are other things in our world that are so broken. Did you know that for every 100 children born around the world, nine of them will die before the age of five? 18 of them will not get to attend school, of whom the majority are girls. Another 18 will not have access to clean drinking water. And 32 of those 100 children will suffer from malnutrition. And it is just a brutal reminder that our world is broken. And I'll tell you, when we hear stats like these, we can't help but think this is not the way it's supposed to be. This this is not at all how God meant for us to live. Do you feel that? I think there's no escape in the reality that our world is definitely broken. And it's not just over there. It's also closer to home. Our nation is broken. Last week, the heartbreak took place in Boulder, Colorado, with 10 lives needlessly lost. And I'm I'm texting friends I know there to see if they're okay. The week before, eight lives were lost in Atlanta 
Six of them Asian-American women murdered. And, and you would think these things would unite us, but even our pain seems to divide us. You see, in our pain, we should come together and console one another. But the truth is, we don't trust one another as a nation or as individuals. Our teaching team did a little homework. Back in 1964, 77%, 77% of Americans said they trusted the U.S. government. Yeah, we trust it. By 1997, that number dropped 13% to 64% of Americans said they trusted the U.S. government. Today, only 30%, actually less than 30% of Americans fully trust our government. <laughs> and strangely, we are unified about not trusting our government. <laughs> but not all of us for the same reasons. And it's not just a distrust of our political leaders. We don't actually even trust each other. When researchers asked Americans if we trust each other, 70%, a staggering 70% of Americans said, the people around me, no, they can't be trusted. Now, these people, I can't trust them. So trust has been broken at the highest level and also at the interpersonal level. And until we can restore that broken trust, our nation is broken. And again, it leaves me with that feeling, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is, this is not at all how God meant for us to live. And this brokenness, it's not just, you know, over there or out there, but it's also, it's in here. We're all broken by something. We've all hurt someone and or have been hurt by someone. And we all share the condition of brokenness, even if our brokenness is not equal. And every one of us, if we're the least bit introspective, we've kind of looked at our lives, at least parts of our lives, and maybe you are today and going like, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This, this is not how, how God meant for me to live. <laughs> and I know, I mean, you see me frequently here, kind of in a leadership role, you know, delivering hopefully what you think is a thoughtful message. I got a Bible nearby. And because of that, it'd be very easy for you to think somehow, oh, I don't share the same struggles as you do. Well, I do. <laughs> just, just ask my wife, okay? There have been times over the last year where I was afraid. And you know what? God gave me every reason to be faithful. There's times when I, I have doubts, deep doubts, and, and I obviously probably have more reason than you even to trust God. Times when I was angry, when the appropriate response should have been just deep gratitude, gratefulness. And all that stuff just kind of reminds me I'm broken. We all know it. We all feel it. And I think we all hate it. Our world, our nation, and our lives are broken. And when we're brave enough to look at these broken realities, man, it can't help but just kind of break our hearts. It's like we're living in some sort of Humpty Dumpty world that's shattered into a million pieces on the ground. A world where all of our efforts and all of our resources, all the king's horses, all the king's men can't quite put it back together again. Now, let me clarify. When I say we're broken, it doesn't mean that every part of life doesn't work. No, I mean, we still have friends. We still have some good days, right? We still have jobs. Life kind of works, but it's broken. I was trying to figure out how to illustrate this. Um, 
maybe this will work for you. Uh, for most of my adult life, I was a member of the, uh, the crappy car club. <laughs> and part of the reason I was a member of the crappy car club is I just refused to spend money on a brand new car. It didn't make sense to me. And so I'd always buy used. But then on top of it, I would never take care of them. And so if you're buying used and you don't take care of them, that is not a great formula. I'll tell you what, if you've ever had a crappy car, just join me, just name it right now in the chat. Just name that car, join the crappy car club with me, all right? Um, For a long time, I drove a Honda Civic, which is a good car, but mine, the one I had, I bought it used, and by the time I had it for a couple of years, everything was broken except the engine. Radio was broke, air conditioning was broke, CD player, who uses CDs, but it was broke. And now, here's the deal. It would get me from point A to point B, but only really the engine worked. Everything else was broken. Before that, I had a Toyota Paseo, and it was even worse. Just brutal. Now, one of the nice things, though, about having a crappy car is you don't need an anti-theft system. (laughs) I mean, just looking at the car is enough of a deterrent. Nobody's going to steal that. Before that, I literally had a Toyota Corona. I've mentioned this before, and people go, oh, you mean a Corolla. No, a Corona. Yes, just like the virus. Now, these cars I'm talking to you about, they didn't start broken. Once upon a time, they were brand new. They worked perfectly. But by the time I got them and then abused them, yeah, they worked, point A, point B, but they were broken. And I use that kind of as an example, because as I look at our world, and I look at our country, and life, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, it works. We're getting from point A to point B most days. But man, it's broken. It's broken. And I think that leaves us with two really big questions to wrestle with this Easter. And here's these two big questions. First of all, how did we get here in this broken place? And then secondly, do we have any real hope? How did we get here and do we have any real hope? Those are two of the biggest questions in the human experience. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're the most fundamental questions of our existence. We're all broken in different ways. We all have scars, and we all kind of kind of walk through life with, you know, a unique limp. But at the same time, we're, we're searching for hope. Now, to answer these two big questions, I want to tell two stories of two journeys. The one story, it starts out good, but ends in death. And the second story starts out with death, but ends with hope. And here's the thing. You get to pick which story you want to live. The one that ends in death or the one that ends in hope. And I'll tell you what, if at any point you decide you want hope, do this. Just text the name, pull your phone, just text the name Jesus to 331-226-1686. Just text that and we'll follow up with you. Now, the first story is the journey of what I'm going to call from the garden to the grave. And then the second story is the journey from the grave to the garden. Now, the first story. The first story answers this question right here, and it's the question, how did we get here? How did we get here? The story starts in the garden, and it's described in the very first pages of the Bible. And it's in the Garden of Eden. And the word that best describes this garden, the Garden of Eden, is the word Shalom. Shalom. Now, shalom is a word that appears throughout the Bible. And while the word shalom in English is translated peace, 
It means peace, but it's actually something much bigger and, and even more inspiring than what you typically think of when you hear the word peace. Because when we hear peace, we think of, oh, I need some peace and quiet, like an end to chaos. And shalom is that, but it's much, much more than that. Or maybe we think of peace as like a ceasefire, an end to fighting. And shalom is that, but it's much, much more than that. When shalom is used to describe the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived, it describes a world operating exactly as God intended it to. Nothing's broken. Nothing. Everything works flawlessly, beautifully, perfectly. See, in shalom, in that experience, there is no hurt. In shalom, there is no pain. In shalom, it, it, there is no death. So in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, there was perfect, imagine this perfect shalom. And the first people, Adam and Eve, they lived in this shalom. And because they were there, they were fully alive. Or as we talked about last week, they were, they were fully human. And things didn't just work. They didn't just get from point A to point B. No, they worked perfectly because nothing was broken. But the first story doesn't stay in the garden. When Adam and Eve choose to do life their own way and broke relationship with God, it had devastating effects. See, that was when brokenness then entered the world. They actually had to leave. They had to leave the garden of Shalom. The very fabric of the created order of the world began to unravel. And all of creation began to experience not Shalom, but a lack of Shalom. And now suddenly things were not at all as God meant for them to be. Humankind was broken. And people started living lives that were less than fully human. The, the Apostle Paul just concisely explains how this happens in Romans chapter 5. Take a look at this. He says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. See, this is how death and actually the brokenness we talked about entered the world. That's when it entered the world. And we still feel it. I mean, this last year, it was a year for me uh, filled with death and funerals. Think about my Aunt Jean. My Aunt Jean, one of the sweetest ladies I've ever known. Or Chris. Chris, Chris Christman, I mean, just, you just say, good guy. Love Jesus, what a good guy. Jessica, so beautiful, so much potential. Nadia, someone who was so hopeful, always encouraging other people. Michael, someone who had so much ahead of him. Stacy, who was this person who just ruthlessly loved the people around her. Lost. And I'll tell you what, I've probably been to more funerals than anyone listening to my voice right now. And at every funeral, every time, I always have this thought, I always have this feeling, this can't be the way it's supposed to be. This is not how God meant for it to be. But do you know what happened? Death had entered the world. And because of that, now Adam and Eve were on a journey from the garden to the grave. And this journey from the garden now to the grave is a journey full of brokenness, full of sickness, disease, war, prejudice, distrust, and ultimately death. <laughs> how, how did we get here? That's what we ask, right? How did we get here? The journey from the garden to the grave, it started with Adam, but then it continues for generations until it gets to people like me or people like you who do just like Adam did, and we reject God and we do life our own way. And that just fractures 
the world, fractures our lives. It brings brokenness. Now imagine, imagine if it ended there, if it ended in the grave, (laughs) if that's where the story ends. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like that's where your story is today, that, that things are broken. Relationally, you're going like, man, some of the people I love the most, is, things are broken and I can't put it back together. Or emotionally, this last year has taken a toll on you and just emotionally, you feel broken. Or spiritually, you, you feel like there's been a break and a distance between you and God. And, and the only thing that's for sure ahead is death. And none of us, None of us want to live like that. We long for, we look around for, we hope for something more. And see, that's what brings us to the second big question. And it's this, do we have any real hope? And the answer is an emphatic yes. Yes, there's hope. Yes, there's hope for you personally today. And yes, there's hope for us relationally. And yes, there's hope for our world globally. And it's because the first story from the garden to the grave actually has a sequel. And the sequel is a second story as the story from the grave to the garden. If we go back to Romans 5, 17, Paul explains both stories. And here's what he says, the first story. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Now, here comes the sequel. And this is one of those occasions where the sequel is actually better, better than the original. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it. It's for all of us. Any one of us who will receive this. And here's what he's offering us. A triumph over sin, our own personal brokenness, and death, ultimately. How? Through this one man, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Easter's all about. That is exactly what Jesus' death and resurrection accomplished. And that that is the story of Easter. Death overcome by life, despair conquered by hope, a story that seemed to have this fatal ending becomes a sequel with an eternal beginning. That's exactly what Jesus' resurrection accomplished. And it only seems fitting that Jesus' resurrection took place in a garden. On that first Easter morning, one of Jesus' followers, a woman named Mary, came to the grave. She came to anoint his body on the third day after his death. But when she gets there, the grave's empty. She thinks somebody's stolen Jesus' body. She doesn't know what to do. So she's, just, she's standing there just crying, weeping. I want you to take a moment to picture how incredible this scene really is. Mary is literally looking into the grave. Over her shoulder is the garden, and it's Easter morning. She's exactly where many of us are this Easter morning. We're facing death. That's where we're headed. But as we move in that direction, we're looking all around for hope. That's what she's looking for. Stuck between the grave and the garden. But she doesn't know it yet. And in just a moment, she's going to be the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus. In a moment, she'll be the first person called by name from the grave back into the garden and hope. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 14. It says this, she turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. All right, I got to pause for a second. This is one of those small details that makes the resurrection story so, so, so believable for me anyway. I mean, here you have the greatest event in human history and she doesn't recognize him. I mean, you don't make that up. 
You don't add that to a story. That had to have happened. <laughs> it goes on, and Jesus speaks, says, uh, Dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Oh my, this is, this is now becoming like a blooper reel, right? Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Mary still doesn't quite get it. She doesn't understand what's happening, not yet. And then it happens. Jesus says, Mary, hey, Mary, Mary. He says her name. Jesus is speaking to her now words of hope. And she turned to him and she cries out, teacher, Jesus, it's, it's you. Can you imagine hearing a guy that you thought was dead call out a name? And not just any name, but, but your name. And just like that, hope entered her world. And you see, that's how hope enters your world. And it's the only hope for our world. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And like Mary, every one of us is being called into a brand new story this Easter. See, there's two stories. There's two journeys. The journey from the garden to the grave and the journey from the grave to the garden. And all of us, we have a choice. And let me ask you, which journey are you on? Which story do you want to live? Which will you choose? This Easter, like that very first Easter, Jesus is calling people out of the grave of darkness and desperation and our own despair and brokenness into this garden of joy and redemption and, and very real hope. And maybe he's calling your name. Michael. Stephanie. Alia, hey Jennifer, Carlos, Ashley, Joshua, Amanda, Jalen, Sarah, Ajay, David. For some of you right now, he's calling you for the very first time. And for others, he's calling you back to hope again. Now, how do you know? Well, for some of you, in this moment, in the moments to come, you're going to think thoughts that aren't really your thoughts, maybe thoughts you never thought before, and you're going to know that's God calling you. For some of you, it won't be so much what you think, but it'll be more what you feel. You're going to be moved emotionally. Maybe you're already feeling it. And if you feel something inside, I'm telling you, that's God. That is God moving inside you. For others of you, you're, you're going to be prompted, actually in your spirit. And that's the spirit of God. And you're, you're, as that happens, you're going to know that that's, that can't be anything else other than God. And I want you to be extra sensitive to that right now. Because that will be a moment that you look back on where God, he, he pulled you out of the grave into the garden and gave you hope. In this next moment of both song and story, I want to introduce you to my friend, Melissa Sagavo. She found hope after experiencing a heartbreaking death of someone she loved dearly. She has firsthand experience of traveling that journey from the garden to the grave. But it was Jesus 
who personally called her and offered her a brand new story, a sequel out of that grave into the garden. Now, at any time during this next moment of both song and story, we invite you to prepare and take your communion elements. Just take a piece of bread and something to drink will do. The bread is a reminder of Jesus' resurrected body. Take the cup. It'll be a reminder of Jesus' blood. And as you do, you're saying yes to Jesus, a Jesus who's calling you out of the grave into the garden.